welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Hello, Gavin. How's it going? It's going well. It's Friday. Uh, you know, I, I like this recording time. We're actually an hour earlier, so I do mm -hmm. apologize everyone in advance. I am still drinking my post-workout protein shake. I also have some coffee just because it's my usual Friday thing. I finished five days of hardcore training. Uh, I'm loving it, as I mentioned last week. So the coffee just helps keep me uh, alive and awake. Normally, I just do one cup in the mornings, but, you know, sometimes I drink this extra one and give me some brain fuel for recording. But I love this time because aside from my homework for my for school, I'm pretty much done with everything. Tomorrow is just, you know, hot yoga and a, a jog, maybe. So it's like all the hard trainings out of the way. Uh, I've, you know, yeah, I can't complain. I love it. I love because I very, love doing this. I love having no other responsibilities on the back of my mind. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Oh, and is this week's coffee fresh or is it from the morning again? It's fresh. I made it fresh this time. Good memory. So, yeah, I do apologize to people. You you might hear the protein shake. You will definitely hear the coffee from time to time, but it's fresh and it's delicious. And because we're recording, I actually picked a uh, so normally I do my Bruce Lee mug, which is very appropriate. But this time I chose this special mug. Love. Mm -hmm. Ai. Yeah. Oh, very good. So it's a... Well, it, it's the same in Japanese. Oh, okay, ai. yeah. So it's it's a mug that has the Chinese character for love, ai, as in wo aini, uh, and it says love on it, because I love recording this podcast. Oh, Yeah. Well, we want to thank all our listeners, yeah. and we hope you go in light and in love. Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, what's new with you, homie? Oh, well, what's new with me? It, it's a very small world indeed. Uh, we had a special event this last week. A really great master teacher came in for a residency. And so the parents came out to that. And uh, one of the parents told me, we've, we've, we've taught, spoken about her before, Selena Duffy, uh, is a uh, knife practitioner, a knife fighter, Fili Filipino artist. Nice. And uh, she, I, I did ask her what her uh, official title was, and she said uh, Supreme Grasshopper. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not, so I'm not getting I'm not getting a real answer from her. But with that said, she's doing a presentation this coming weekend, or by the time you listen to this, this past weekend at the Martial Arts History Museum, doing a, a demonstration for uh, the Immortal Studios. And so I told her I was interested in that. Wait, and maybe that's, attending. that's the one our, our friend Brian is uh, involved in. Indeed. Oh, okay. So <laughs> yeah. Gavin was talking about this before recording, and I was I was paying attention, but I was also getting stuff set up. I didn't even hear you say what name, but all you said was so-and-so. Oh, and he says he met us, and he listens to the podcast. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then as soon as you just said Immortal Studios, I'm like, yeah, it's Brian. Yeah. Did you so, even yeah, say his name or did? I, I did. Oh, Brian I wasn't not paying attention to you. Sorry. Brian. Hello, Brian. Yeah. As yeah, as so he, he, yeah. He listens to the podcast and uh, hopefully uh, tomorrow at the time of recording or three days after recording, I've been able to attend the the event that they're doing. They're uh, they're doing a special event, kind of unleash un, un, uh, unveiling, I guess, their the comic book that might. I don't know if there's news that is uh, private about that. So I'll, I'll be able to tell you more after the event. But I think they're hoping to grow it into something uh, beyond the comic book awesome. format. 
And just to let you know, Brian, I saw how you posted that if anybody's willing to drive down to SoCal and watch Sakura with you with Donnie Yen, you'd buy the ticket. Oh? <laughs> My friend, be careful what you wish for. Uh, anywho. Do, yes. do we have a date for that yet? It, no, not a date, but it's been announced. WellGo USA uh, finally picked up the rights to it, which is so funny. So, uh, coincidentally enough, this weekend, I had a great time celebrating the Chinese New Year. I know it's a couple uh, weeks later. I'm actually, I'll probably post on social media as soon as we're done recording. But I went for the day. Uh, I missed the actual Chinatown parade in San Francisco Saturday mm-hmm. night, but I just heard it was chaos because so many people. So I went for the street fair on Sunday, which was great. We walked up and down Chinatown for like three or four hours, you know, bought a bunch of cool Year of the Rabbit stuff because everyone knows Year of the Rabbit. I am a rabbit. My fight name's the rabbit. It's very special to Jessica and I both. So we got some great rabbit stuff. Uh, you know, we just love walking around up and down. And then also I met with the great Frank Jang for dinner mm-hmm. in Alameda. So... Uh, yeah, I know I had to hold back from snacking all day in Chinatown. I didn't have a single snack, Gavin. Not that a is single a, snack. I have to say that is a little crazy. It's And it's a lot different than a Chinatown in L.A. Because Chinatown in L.A. has some great food, but it has some like great non-Chinese food. And it doesn't have as many like little snacking spots, like mm-hmm. little window shopping food or dim sum places as San Francisco's does. So the fact that I stayed strong and I waited till I had dinner with Frank uh, was awesome. And it was great to meet him in person. We totally nerded out and just talked Kung Fu movies forever. Very nice. Uh, as I mentioned in the past, I helped him set up an interview with Petey uh, for a Writing Wrongs release. Probably going to be uh, working with him, collaborating on some other future stuff, it looks like. But also, uh, the reason I bring that up is because I had mentioned to him, I said, hey, how come WellGo USA hasn't picked up Sakura yet? And then coincidentally enough, it was like two days later, they announced that they finally got it. So I'm looking forward to watching it. That... Uh, brings us back to the Immortal Comics being at the Martial Arts History Museum and our friend Brian. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm uh, maybe next week when we record, I'll be able to tell you how that event went and uh, hopefully tell you the news that I think is being unveiled at the event. Very cool. Very cool. Looking forward to it. Uh, any other news, martial arts related news? Obviously, we brought up Sakura being uh, picked up. Uh mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Big UFC card tomorrow. Uh, down under in Australia. Uh, we got Volkanovski, uh, the the local hero, uh, moving up a weight class to uh, fight for the lightweight title. So that should be a, a fun card. Not sure if I'm going to be able to check that out as I have school on Saturdays now mm-hmm. and just busy, busy with homework. Uh, I'm trying to think. Any martial arts movie news? Movie news, movie news, movie news. Nothing I can think of exactly. We're getting closer and closer to John Wick 4, though. I know. I know. It's like a month. That, that's May, right? No, March. Mar- are you kidding me? Is yes, that I am. soon? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. No, now I'm kidding. It's March, <clears throat> yeah. So originally it was supposed to come out last year, if I'm not mistaken, and they yeah. pushed it back to March of this year. So hopefully for good reasons. I mean, I, I can't imagine. They, they, they needed to cut in more scenes with Donnie Yen. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, yeah, nothing new to report here. It's so funny. I keep, you know, I've been, I've been planning to come down to LA. It just hasn't happened yet, but I will be soon. And so, uh, yeah, that's right. We, we had looked at a couple of dates. One was for the blade trilogy this coming Saturday and super bowl Sunday, unbeknownst to me when I'm booking blade trilogy, I get too excited. I'm like, yeah, for Sunday, not to mention also Sunday before Valentine's day. So it's like, yeah, but, and we do have our tickets for the last dragon screening at the new Beverly, Mm -hmm. but little did either of us realize until I pointed out to a friend of mine, it is a midnight screening. Now 
even in my youth, I did go to like, I went to an Enter the Dragon Midnight screening when I was in college and that was a lot of fun. But I remember even that one, it's like, I'm pumped, I'm excited, I got a bunch of adrenaline. Even by the time that was finishing, I was getting a little tired. Now, you know, near the... 17 years later, it's, uh, <laughs> I, it's a lot harder to do a midnight it, screening. Gavin and I lot, struggle just to do the regular like double screenings. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it th- that is true. We do struggle to do that. I mean, because, well, when you come down, we're like physically exerting ourselves from like 6 a.m. until like 5 30 p.m. And then we we eat a lot of Mediterranean food and then go into a movie theater for two to four hours. But I will say midnight movies are or lifestyle, yeah. you know, you have to, you have to prep for a couple of days before, you know, start kind of shifting your sleep schedule a little bit, taking some nap power naps along the way. Carb but, loading, carb loading. <laughs> but yeah, I, I got, I have two tickets. I'm trying to convince more people to come along with us. Uh, I don't know who the other us is. It might just be to come along with me. I've, I've offered to buy up to six tickets well, so at this far, point, no, no dice. I, I, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm planning to come, you know, I can't, I can't let you fly solo dog, but anywho, we'll see. We'll figure that right. out. We'll but figure it out. Yeah. Hopefully coming down <clears> soon, get to train, get to train with Sugarfoot, uh, all that fun stuff. Uh, otherwise I'm super excited to be talking about the movie we're talking about today, but you brought me some movie quotes. Is this correct? I, I did indeed. So I think simple to medium. Oh. Difficult okay. in difficulty. The first one, in honor of perhaps the casting members of this film. Okay. I didn't even casting members in honor of the cast. Mm-hmm. I need time. That's, that's the easy one. That's the easy one? It's three words. I need time. I feel like that could be in any movie. Uh, Do you want the quote that comes before that? I mean... I'm going to take a guess right out the gate and just say blood and bone. No. Okay. Okay. Then give me the quote before it. What does it take to change the essence of a man? Oh, Jesus. Oh, good one. Good one. Okay. See now, now I totally get it. That is on deadly ground. Steven Seagal, where he's talking to Mike star. Indeed. Yes. uh, That's actually a great sequence. I mean, yes, it's hokey. Now I love that movie. Is that wrong? No, it's not. And that's actually, I would argue since from, from the Mark for Death mall scene where mm-hmm. he's like Aikidoing it up through through glass planes with uh, with Jamaican henchmen, I would say that that bar fight scene is the best Aikido on film post Mark for Death. So do you realize you actually did a double meaning with that quote in this movie? Because do you know who was in that final sequence as one of the like... Uh, military mercenaries trying to take out Seagal? Uh, in Mark for Death? No, in uh, On Deadly Ground. On Deadly Ground? No, who? Michael J. White. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I swear. Uh, it's, I mean, been, I could, it's been a very I long know. time since I mean, I've seen it. You, I feel like you hardly see him, but I'm, if I'm not mistaken, in fact, people, we're going to, I'm going to look it up real quick. He's in that scene uh, because this was before he was, you know, a household name or a star or pre- uh, uh, spawn, but like if I go to his filmography, I real think you quick, might be right on Deadly Ground. He's one of the oil workers. Wow. Yeah, wow. So, uh, wow, good job, you. You wow. didn't even know because what made me think of that is how Billy Bob Thornton is in that final sequence. Yes. And then I was like, wait a minute, so is Michael J. White. But on Deadly Ground is 
It's also Steven Seagal's probably shortest stint where he was appropriating another culture and kind of trying to make it his own, his Native American. Well, no, because so technically, like, I guess that was part of his Native American stint. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that, never mind. Yeah. That lasted a while. Yeah. Uh, but some great hard hitting action. Even the finale, there's like some pole fighting and stuff. And- Absolutely. I mean, it, it, that that film, the the angle, the camera, the camera work is slightly lower, wider. I mean, the I just love that bar fight sequence. It is very, it is very well done. Where he's just throwing people around, and like you, you have you, we as an audience hadn't seen that. Uh, really postmarked for death. I mean, even under siege, which came before that, and uh, where he's looking for Richie. Uh, you, there are some sequences. You mean uh, Alfred Justice? Alfred Justice. Thank okay. you. Yeah, uh, there are some great Aikido sequences, but that that bar fight sequence—it's just shot. Uh, it's shot a cut above. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and of course, Michael Caine is so good in that movie. I think he got a Razzie nomination for that, which is. Totally. It's, that's not, it, it's, not. Yeah. And like, I don't always agree with the Razzies. And the thing is, he knew what he, kind of movie he was in. And he's just so good in that. But OK, so quote number one out of the way. Quote number two. Quote number two. I'm pull, I, there's so many great quotes to pull from this particular piece. Uh, I'm going to pull. Dang it. I'm going to pull the second one. I'm going to pull the actually the fourth one of the four I pulled from this one uh, creative project. The object doesn't matter. It is your imagination. All warfare is based on imagination and deception. Hmm. And I can give you the quote before that. Sure. Give me the quote before that, please. Let me ask you this. When you teach your Chinese cops the use of the deadly chalk eraser. It's martial law. So you you, you use Mike Starr again. So that's actually the first episode of season one, uh, right? Yes, indeed. Yep. So- it's really like Mike Starr is has I would I would love to like talk to him someday about just like oh, what sure. it means to be like to play these characters that just represent like self repression and anger. I mean, the other quote I was going to pull from that is uh, earlier in the earlier when Samo Law meets uh, Detective Port- Portman, I believe. You are a very unhappy person. I can see it in your face. Yeah. Well, what was that? He, yeah. And it's, uh, I'm trying to think of, because roles where he's not like that, it almost seems out of place. Because, well, I think one of his best in between would be in The Bodyguard, where he plays Whitney yes. Houston's previous bodyguard. So he's all pissed off that they brought in Kevin mm-hmm. Costner and they have that fight scene in the kitchen, which could have been a lot more than it was, obviously. But, and then he kind of comes around and, uh, yeah, but great quotes, and I love how you pulled both. I was waiting for a Michael J. White. I was like, no, no, Gab, that's no, Gavin I'm, style. I'm going Mike Star. I'm going Mike Star route. And uh, for the record, uh, Selena Duffy is not Supreme Grasshopper, but Guru. Oh, like a Guru? Yeah, but G U R O. G U R O. Okay, Guru. Maybe is that like the the feminine? Uh... I believe. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. So that's quite common in Filipino martial arts, Indonesian yes. martial arts, and I feel like a lot of that has to do pretty much with like. Guru Dan and Asano kind of taking yeah. that title and it just being uh, applicable now to kind of anyone that does FMA or Filipino martial arts. I like how you said that to anyone, well, anyone who does it. Not to, sorry, to <laughs> yeah, anyone know, that is an instructor in it. But yes, uh, yes. 
I forgot to mention real quick. So uh, a shout out to hopefully a new listener, a young martial artist I met in Chinatown. So we're Ooh. in this uh, store. Normally, I would never be buying some fancy jade piece or a little statue, but we decided to get one for the year of the rabbit. So, uh-huh. you know, we're getting a little jade thing. We're in the store and I see this uh, young uh, man walk in with his parents and he's wearing a Bruce Lee hoodie. And mm. I say, hey, I love your hoodie. Normally, I would be wearing something Bruce Lee, but I was wearing all my commemorative uh one championship year of the rabbit gear that I bought. Actually, I'm, uh-huh. I'm wearing the shirt right now. But, uh, and he says, oh, oh, thanks. I just bought it at the Bruce Lee exhibit because they have the Bruce Lee exhibit going on right now in San Francisco. Yep. I said, that's great. So we get to talking and uh, this young man's name is Noah. He's 14 years old and he just got into martial arts about six months ago. He's training at one of the Japanese dojos in San Francisco. And I forget uh, the exact style uh, and the 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 gym, this, not the Sadokai. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but... Shout out to Noah. Keep up the great work. He's getting ready for his first belt test and he might Ooh, try his nice. first uh, tournament, which is like points barring. So keep up the fantastic work, young man. He was a very polite, uh, great young kid. So reminded me a lot of myself at that age. Obviously, Bruce Lee nerd. Love it. We're Bruce Lee nerds here at the podcast. So shout out to Noah. Uh, okay. So you ready to get going? Oh, Am I ever? Let's get it on. Let's get it on. So today, in honor of Black History Month, so Gavin and I, last week, I was like, or, you know, a few days ago, what are we going to talk about? Uh, You know, I I think we should do something for Black History Month, and I had an idea, and Gavin had just said right before that we should do a comedy, and that's how this one was, Gavin picked it, the perfect choice. We are talking about the Scott Sanders-directed Michael Jai White starring, I guess you could say almost neo blaxploitation comedy martial arts film, Black Dynamite from 2009. So coincidentally enough, I had watched it last week already. Mm -hmm. It was just, it popped up on Prime. I love this movie. And I thought, oh, cool. I've watched Black Dynamite in a long time. I'm going to watch it. It's it's one of those ones from that era. That's an, an interesting time. 2009, you know, the early mid 2000s, as they say. We had a lot of films come out that don't really stand the test of time. This one does. It just gets better with age. Obviously, it was made on a shoestring budget, which you can only tell from kind of just some of the stylistic choices. But you would never know that because it looks so slick and professional. But... It is such a fun, amazing movie. I remember when I first saw it, I was blown away, not just by how good Michael Jai White's acting performance was as a comedian, Mm -hmm. but the fact that he co-wrote it and came up with the story. And it is one of my favorite comedies of the last 20 years. And I think anybody can watch this film and enjoy it. So uh, this actually was my first uh, Michael Jai White film, at least where I was aware of. This is where I became introduced to him. I Obviously, I guess I saw him on Deadly Ground, unbeknownst to me at the time. Uh, So you had never seen Spawn? I had not seen Spawn. Okay, so yeah, because you you may have been in Japan at that time. Yes, I was because Uh, I I collected the Spawn comics, but uh, I had never I had not seen Spawn. So what what the New Beverly was showing the Grindhouse double feature. So they were showing um, uh, the obviously the Grindhouse double feature, Planet Terror and Grindhouse. And then the third film, the midnight film was Black Dynamite. And I have to say it was like the, it was like the third, it, it was the third film in the, in the, in the, 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 the screening, but it rocked 
the house. Yeah. Everybody was laughing. I loved it. And I think they showed a follow-up the next day uh, as a double feature with Hobo with a Shotgun and Black Dynamite, if my memory serves me correctly. So I went and saw that. I saw it again. I would just like it. And and I kind of made a promise to myself after seeing it on the big screen, I would only ever really watch it on the big screen because there are just some films that are just so good. Uh, so this is the first time I've watched it streaming. Uh, but man, uh, I remember just loving the film and wondering who the heck this guy was. His martial arts is powerful on point and the comedy, the comedy we can get into that. It, it's not played as a joke, but played as a played seriously and done well. Yeah. So had you not seen undisputed two? I had not. Oh, see that had come out like the year before already. So the thing is for me growing up, I knew who Spawn, uh, Spawn, I knew who Michael Jai White was at like quite a young age because Spawn came out in 97. So everyone's like, oh, who's this Michael Jai White? And we thought he would be so much more at that time. And then a mm-hmm. couple years later, he was in uh, Universal Soldier, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the sequel. Now I'm mixing up the names of them. That was Universal Soldier. Uh, hold on, let's see. Do, 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 do. The return. And he was mm-hmm. great in that. He's the best part of that. But that's like part three or four. Cause, uh, Jeff not count, yeah, those are the TV movies. Yeah. So that'd yes. be like part four technically. Uh, but yeah, so by the time that I already knew him as this phenomenal martial artist, a great actor, a great action star. And so when I saw like just how brilliant he was as a comedian and as a writer, that's what blew my mind. And the nice thing about this film is you can appreciate it whether you have a little bit or zero knowledge of black exploitation cinema. And mm-hmm. but the thing is, whether you think you know anything about it or not, elements of black exploitation are ingrained in our culture. Now, we should kind of step back a little bit and talk about what exactly is black exploitation cinema. I actually uh, watched a little mini documentary they have on HBO Max right now with Michael Jai White. I oh. watched it in research for this. It's him and two other filmmakers talking about the whole black exploitation movement and genre. One of the other filmmakers gives it a different name, uh, which I can't remember what he called it, but black exploitation, exploitation typically in cinematic studies, that's what it's called. So this refers to a movement of films beginning in uh, the late 60s, early 70s uh, that were obviously geared towards minority audiences, but specifically the African-American community. Now, there's a few different factors that went into this. One of the big ones, as they mentioned in this little short documentary, was... Obviously, the increase in television, more and more people had televisions in them, their homes. There was uh, less necessarily going to the movies, m- more television watching going on. But that's kind of only, I would argue, part of it. That was more of the 1950s fear of like, oh, crap, where, you know, people aren't going to be going to the movies anymore. And that's when like the sword and sandal epics came out to kind of try to combat that. Uh, you know, let's draw people back to the movie theaters with big extravagant films that they can't watch at home. So obviously there was still going to have some elements of that. I mean, color TV was a big factor in that. But one of the big issues that actually led to both black exploitation, uh, kung fu cinema and adult films was the fact that more and more people were moving out of the urban areas into suburban areas. So you had all of these movie theaters in urban areas that still had a demographic of uh, high minority populations Mm -hmm. and these kind of, in a sense, like theaters that didn't have uh, 
necessarily as many movies to show now and they needed content specifically geared towards that demographic so that's how kung fu movies became so popular because they were already getting made in asia and it was super cheap for producers to get the rights to them and then release them uh in america and as we've talked about there's that element of uh that can really attract anybody in a sense but specifically minority audiences of you know, the underdog being held down by the man, which even in Kung Fu films, we have that we see that constantly with, you know, elements based off of different Chinese dynasties and the Han Chinese being oppressed and fighting against their oppressors. So, I mean, black exploitation cinema has very similar elements. Uh, I'd say one of the first big ones was uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song by not Mario Van Peebles, but Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, one time previously, I, I said the wrong name and Gavin corrected me. Oh, you me. did? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, did I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anywho, that's like one. And then from that point, we started getting a lot of these films specifically starring African-American actors. And these films were geared towards the African-American audience. I mean, some of the big ones from that time were obviously Shaft with Richard Roundtree, all of those films. Uh, Pam Greer became a big star during that period as well. Uh, you know, multiple films. Coffee right now is uh, available, I believe, on Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, other ones like Cleopatra Jones, uh, people like Fred Williamson, uh, Jim Brown, obviously Jim Kelly. They became mm -hmm. these stars in these films. And there are certain elements stylistically, certain cinematic uh, choices made, maybe not on purpose, sometimes due to budgetary restraints. Mm -hmm. well, uh, it's, it's 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 like that. You have one take. You know, a lot of films are are shot when there are unlimited budget be with with just one take yeah. so w whatever take you get that's the take you have to you have to run with uh you know and it's funny because i think the first black exploitation film i had seen was the melvin ba van peebles film uh, watermelon man ah. so there, with, <clears throat> within uh within the 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 umbrella of what is what is known as black exploitation. There are there are films and filmmakers like Melvin Van Peebles who were trying to make a social impact, and then there were the the films that might be trying to make an entertainment impact or a monetary impact. Right. I'd say there's like differences between an extremely low budget uh, film, like a lot of the work of Melvin Van Peebles compared to like a mainstream release, like Black Belt Jones, which was done by Warner Brothers and mm -hmm. the same team behind Enter the Dragon. Like Fred Weintraub was a producer on that. And it was supposed to be the vehicle to really launch John, Jim Kelly into his solo career. And that film is probably one of my favorite black exploitation films. I've watched it with uh, Sugar Foot, we love that movie. Uh -huh. There's a lot of references to it in uh, the film we're talking about today, which we'll get to. But that one was definitely kind of more for mainstream audiences, whereas some of these other ones were very much geared towards making a statement talking about certain, uh, you know, uh, criticizing certain elements of American society, right? And right. the way uh, minority groups were treated, African-Americans, especially at that time. And the interesting part is, and this comes up in Black Dynamite especially, is a lot of these protagonists were actually of questionable professions, you might say. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in a film like Black Bell Jones, he's kind of like a private detective or he works for the government, I forget. And then Shaft is kind of a middle ground. He's like a private eye that's, you know, uh, maybe not quite on the main level, but, you know, doing his own thing. But then you have other films like Superfly, where mm -hmm. our protagonist is a pimp. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like in retrospect, 
there's maybe some criticism of the black exploitation genre of like, oh, reinforcing stereotypes or, oh, look at these characters that are playing pimps, drug dealers, uh, you know, criminals. You've got someone like uh, <laughs> Dolomite, right, mm-hmm. who's uh, just all over the place, a little bit of everything. But I guess the counter argument would be or my counter argument would be that, OK, these are the characters that you're, you know, allowing us to play these are the stereotypes that you have instilled uh in us and in the american public so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take ownership oh all Mm -hmm. i can be is a pimp or a drug dealer i'm gonna be the most badass pimp drug dealer you've ever seen i'm gonna be the protagonist of a movie and i'm gonna show how i'm fighting against the man oppression and doing so through the means that i know how type thing so uh, and once again, I black exploitation. I am not the foremost expert on. I coincidentally enough was actually really into the genre as like uh, in my tweens, I guess you would call it, because the Shaft remake came out in I believe it was two thousand, and yep. starring Samuel Jackson, which is a really great film. John Singleton, not to be confused with the one they did a couple years ago, the comedy one, which was I never even watched, <laughs> but they they remade it in the it was I believe two thousand. It came out and. Richard Roundtree actually has a small part in it, but Samuel Jackson took over the role. It's a very dark, mm-hmm. gritty, like crime film. And I'm going to the theaters with my brother to go see it. My older brother it was this random day. My mom, I think, was getting ready for some sort of family party and just wanted us out of the house. And she said, all right, you know, why don't you and your brother go to the movies? And I, we're like, oh, cool. And I said, can we go see Shaft, even though it's rated R? And she's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I was like, oh, sweet. And the reason I bring it up is at that time, in connection with the film coming out, they were showing the original trilogy on uh, TBS. So I got mm-hmm. to watch the original Shaft. Shaft's big score. Shaft goes Africa, right? And then also being a you know huge Bruce Lee fan watching Into the Dragon, that's where I got really into Jim Kelly. So I had seen Black Belt Jones. I had seen Hot Potato. I had seen Black Samurai. You know, inadvertently, I got into Ron Van Cleef, the Black Dragon. Right. So, uh, and I mean... Pam Greer, you know, it's Pam Greer, Foxy Brown, come on. Uh, and so I obviously was geared more towards the martial arts end, and but I was just absorbing these films because I thought they were so cool. I mean, you, you don't get much cooler than the protagonists of black exploitation films, aside from maybe Dolomite. Dolomite is just a little wacky and over the type, top. Don't get me wrong. I love Dolomite, but... Yeah, so that's kind of a short, condensed history of black exploitation, and there's a lot of, as we said, stylistic elements that go into it. Some crucial factors, I would say, is the overall aesthetic, yes, but costumes mm-hmm. and the vernacular, which is still part of the uh, American zeitgeist in a, a sense, right? And uh, the music. Well. Absolutely. So it's it's really it's really interesting. Uh, what I think I r- appreciate about Black Dynamite is its equal ingredients spoof, equal ingredient action, well done action, equal ingredients social commentary, equal ingredients like linear film. So it, 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 it is such a well-balanced film that touches on 
that touches on so many elements from that time without it being an over the top spoof, without it being over the top exploitive that doesn't, that would prevent it from standing the test of time. Like I would probably argue the movie I'd previously mentioned hobo with a shotgun. Yeah. Uh, those, those, the, a lot of the exploitation films that were coming out in the late, uh, late two thousands, early uh, 2010s, late 2008, uh, nine through like 13. A lot of those films were kind of like one hit wonders. It only good for like one viewing, maybe a second viewing, but after that you, you can't, it's not that you can't stomach it, but they get dated so fast. Well, And they were more so going for the grindhouse effect that yes. Machete had done. So slightly yes. different, but very similar. And you are, you nailed it. As we've talked about previously, most of these films failed. They're just trying to be a spoof. They're not trying to be a good solid film. Unlike Black Dynamite, like Michael Jai White, he talks about in this little mini documentary I was watching growing up, he had the posters of these characters up on his wall, like Superfly. And that's where he brings mm-hmm. up. He's like, wait a minute. These were all like pimps and drug dealers. And like how was, that was kind of awkward. But obviously he grew up with these protagonists being kind of like heroes, his movie cinematic heroes. And so he has a true love for the genre. At the mm-hmm. same time, though, he's not afraid to poke fun of it. Also to be critical of certain elements of it, sort of like the fact that Black Dynamite is technically a pimp in this film. It's one of his many, because he like, you know, as uh, we, we've got the, you know, the house with all the, uh, I mean, people get overproved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's, you know, they talk about how thankful they are because before they didn't have no pimp. So yeah, technically Black Dynamite is a pimp. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because it, it, the film, like it's, it is, it's, it captures that era of filmmaking so well, but delivers it in a, to a fresh new audience. I I remember when, when this did come out, they used to uh, have to ask people not to uh, share pirated copies because it couldn't get uh, nationwide releasing. So they were going to college campus to college campus, a small film house, to small film house to, to screen the the film. And I I remember, so shortly after I saw it, uh, I think that's when it was still starting to make its rounds. And so when they shortly after I saw it at the new Beverly, they were starting to make the rounds and like Arsenio Hall and Michael Jai White went on like KTLA in the morning and they were talking about the, the nationwide tour that they were going to launch and we'll be back. And, you know, uh, not to sidetrack too much, but I think one thing earlier you were talking about Michael Jai White's writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he also is the the writer behind Blood and Bone, correct? Or is his story credited to? I'm not sure on that one. I, that's okay. A, that's a good question, though. I'm not going to click my mouse and look that up, but I will say that what I appreciate about Michael Jai White's career is so often he has a film that could launch a whole series and eventually perhaps dilute it. There could have been a Black Dynamite 2, 3, 4. There could have been a Blood and Bone 2, 3, 4. And I know that there's always been conversation around uh, resurrecting these characters. But what I also like is the fact that they didn't get resurrected. These stand out as classic films. And Black Dynamite in particular stands out as a classic film that. Uh, like I said before, is this perfectly balanced film that has a social con- uh, element to it, as well as uh, like a callback to the to the era when when black exploitation was exploding onto the scene. It, it's it's kind of a, a, like a love letter to to that era, while also kind of uh, essentially 
letting us, reminding us that a lot of these problems still exist. Oh, most definitely. And I, you bring up an excellent point. So I think we should also bring up people might be like, well, why are you guys talking about this on the Martial Arts Mania podcast? Well, as previously mentioned, martial arts, I think it has to do with not just the uh, black exploitation films, excuse me, that were heavily martial arts oriented, like starring Jim Kelly or the action ones, you know, with Fred the Hammer Williamson or Jim Brown or obviously Ron Van Cleef. Uh, even the the other films, like a lot of Pam Greer's would have martial arts elements in them. The the Dolomite movies had a ton of martial arts stuff in them. I think it was just kind of this cross-cultural connection with kung fu films coming out of that time. Mm-hmm. Just that whole genre of the quote-unquote grindhouse type cinema. But this particular film, there's a lot of elements that the character of Black Dynamite, you know, he's a little bit of all of these classic characters, whether it be Superfly, mm-hmm. uh, Shaft, but also Black Belt Jones. And Michael Jai White, as you all know... Who, is a fantastic martial artist, an incredible martial artist, very high level black belt in Kyokushin Karate. He also has a background in Wushu and a plethora of other martial arts styles. But as part of his character, he's an expert martial artist. He does well, Kung Fu. Uh, and, you know, there, that, that's throughout the film. And we have some great fight sequences. Very good fight sequences. And as I mentioned before, this film was shot on a shoestring budget, which, you, you I mean, and with some of the actors, the big name actors, they got to make like cameos in it. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. But also a lot of these fight scenes from watching them, they're executed so beautifully. And I'm like, you know what? I bet you they shot this in like a couple hours because a lot Absolutely. of them are longer takes with wide angles and just letting Michael Jai White do all the work. And that's how good he is. Yes. You know, that that's a great point, because when you were talking earlier, I was going to actually going to like interject that one thing that a lot of the films that we got through black exploitation, a lot of the action and martial arts that we got through there is because they are almost like master shots, wider shots. So they had to there was greater martial arts. You, you, they had to be better practitioners of martial arts rather than in, in a lot of the contemporaries and even the contemporaries today. And what I love about Black Dynamite is because it does, uh, you know, kind of do some spoof editing at points like his training sequence. <laughs> yeah. What it, what it allows us to do is actually almost do like watch highlight reels because you're cutting from one one hit to the next. It's, and it's a, the training sequence is a fantastic sequence. So, I mean, there are many uh, great martial arts sequences in this film, but I just love how you're able to see some clean, clean lines, some power moves, some uh, elevated, like jumping uh, groundwork. It's just, it's, it, it's like I said, it's a highlight reel. Oh yeah. And uh, also, I mean, the fact that the, the fight scenes are taken very seriously, right. But at the same time, aren't afraid to poke fun and do some comical elements in between, but even sometimes some of the comical elements his martial arts are just so good that it's still yeah. like you're laughing, but you're also still like, wow, this is a fantastic fight sequence. It's it, 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 like I, I know like probably our podcast listeners are, are are used to me bringing up the Pink Panther by this point and probably too often. But it's the difference between a Steve Martin martial arts sequence and a Peter Sellers martial arts sequence where they're actual practice, practitioners and physical comedians with Peter Sellers uh, and Burke Kwok doing action sequences in with comedic timing. What you have in Black Dynamite, obviously, is an even higher level martial artist doing it doing the sequences, working with his cinematographer and his editors and his directors to create sequences that are funny, but with martial arts that is 
like on the dime pinpoint perfect. Exactly. And so real quick, let's uh, let's go into kind of the basic premise of the film, the plot line. And I think a great comparison because we talked about how there's spoof elements, how it's comedy, how it's an action. Stylistically, I think it's very close to uh, maybe you can agree or disagree with me. Uh, the Zucker Brothers style of comedy. Uh, in the sense of it, you know, uh, as in the Naked Gun, because yes. it's yes, it's more of that that spoof type of a, a particular genre. So, like the Zucker Brothers that did like Airplane mm-hmm. and the Naked Gun films, which obviously kind of poke fun at the police procedural, like detective movie or TV show. I think it very much takes that format, and our the premise is we have this character, Black Dynamite, the ultimate black exploitation hero. I mean. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the opening sequence. And yes, this is an R-rated film, people. And there's a lot of R-rated elements when it comes to the language. But our opening sequence is Black Dynamite making love to multiple women at the same time. And that's how you know this character is (laughs) an extreme version of all these different black exploitation characters coming together. So the basic premise is his younger brother gets murdered, Black Dynamite, a former Vietnam soldier, a former CIA agent, a martial arts expert, badass extraordinaire, decides to take it into his own hands to find the people that killed him. He's eventually recruited back into the CIA and decides to clean the streets from all the drugs that have infiltrated the neighborhood by mm-hmm. the man that's, uh, so Mike Starr, who plays a drug dealer, I believe named Raffaele, who's, you know, dealing dope to the kids. It's gotten in the orphanage and Black Dynamite teams up with, uh, kind of, uh, like a a group comparable to like the Black Panthers and they take out the drugs only to discover another, uh, evil plot to specifically attack the black man, which, you know, has callbacks to classic black exploitation cinema, specifically three, the hard way. And yeah, so this is a setup for a lot of fantastic, brilliant comedy scenes, some great action scenes, some great character actors popping up here and there, some great comedians. And it's just done so well. And you briefly mentioned, uh, the technical elements. I think we should talk about that because right out the gate, they do a great job of using filters to give it that 70s grainy Mm -hmm. look. But they use, it's not like the same one throughout the whole time. So it's not like we're getting this constant, really grainy look. They do a brilliant job of always giving it that uh, feeling of being a, a 70s type movie. So, Whoever the cinematographer was, I have it written down somewhere, but brilliant job. The DP, brilliant job because they know when to use like subtle amounts, the lighting, the costumes. They do a great job with uh, all the locations and the cars and everything else really making it feel like the 70s. But they also know when to turn up the filters to make it look really 70s style grainy and when to turn Mm -hmm. them down. They do a great job with montage editing, inserting, Mm -hmm. you could tell old stock footage, which just works brilliantly. And from a budgetary standpoint, work great. And also sometimes creating some of their own kind of stock footage looking elements. And it's just the, the movie flows so well. And we mentioned other ones from that time, not standing the test of time. This one still does. I'm watching it and I'm highly enjoying it. Well, you know, it's so obviously this film is, is definitely a very strong rated R, but at the same time, the way it's the way it's presented to us, it isn't it isn't exploitive so much as it feels everything feels like it's in place. There aren't 
there aren't sequences that feel out of place. And you know, it's really interesting when you talk about how the film creates its own sort of like uh, new stock footage. This when, So when the film came out, they actually had two soundtracks to it, the original soundtrack, and then they had... Uh, they did a, a a second album, which was the stock music that they pulled from the seventies for this film. Ah. So there are actually two. There were two LPs that were released. I actually, uh, when I went to the record store to get it, probably the next day at Amoeba, uh, after seeing the film, they didn't have the original soundtrack, but they did have the the stock uh, music soundtrack. So I bought that, Excellent. and it was it, It's just uh, you know it, it's. Even even the approach to the soundtrack, even the approach to how they're cutting the film together, it it does it does pull from that period as well as create this new right. original element. The original music is also great. Obviously, mm-hmm. budgetary standpoint, they couldn't afford any of the the classic because a lot of the music, specifically from black exploitation cinema, is became, as I said, ingrained in our culture. They are well-known songs, right? Like Curtis Mayfield, right? Superfly. And then one of the most classic Isaac Hayes Shaft theme. Come on. I mean, there's no way they could have afforded that. But the thing I love about a lot of the original music is if, and I'm sure you noticed this, it's like it's narrating the what's going on on screen. And it's such a cheesy, hokey, but brilliant thing of like, my brother's dead. Ah. And it's like narrating what uh, Black Dynamite is going through. But uh, so obviously... Michael Jai White plays, we've mentioned, Black Dynamite, who's a combination of a lot of these heroes from the exploitation era. But uh, lots of other, you know, great actors thrown in there. So the principal cast, we should probably talk about. So his main sidekick is uh, Bullhorn, who's played by Byron Minns, who also co-wrote it, uh, the film with him, came up the, with the story with Michael Jai White. But mm-hmm. he is a 100% uh, inspired by Dolomite. So he's constantly speaking in rhyme. And he's always talking like this. Very much Dolomite style. You may have to listen to him talk for a while, but the bad guy's bodies are going to start to pile. You, okay, so one, one of my favorite... <laughs> I, I just made scenes, that one up. That's not an actual thing he says. So. It, it, it sounds like it could have been. What, what right. I love about... Uh, uh, bullhorn character. There's there's this one there's this one moment where it becomes like a Zucker a Zucker Brothers uh, moment where he's he's helping Black Dynamite clear clear a pool hall and at one point he hits the yes, he, he hits, he hits the stuntman and then the stuntman like steps to him he says what are you doing mother and then it like cuts and then all of a sudden the stuntman is much smaller and he goes back to hitting yeah. the guy it's really it's really well done those brilliant beats and i wrote that down i have a few of them maybe we'll get to later if we have time but there's the brilliant one-liners and these brilliant little beats like that one that just are just so clever but okay oh. so we we have bullhorn Yes. Uh, kind of our rhyming sometimes uh, narrator also of the film. Uh, we've got uh, Kim Whitley as Honeybee, who's like the mm-hmm. madam of the house that Black Dynamite is technically the pimp of. And then our other main character would be, uh, well, I guess there's you, Tommy Davidson, the yes, brilliant cream, Tommy Davidson cream corn. plays Cream Corn, you know, a very much a caricature of like a lot of these characters. <laughs> He's like a weaselly little rat that eventually decides to team up with Black Dynamite because he wants to, you know, he owes him uh, because his brother saved his life. 
Of course, there's. I, I don't know if you were going to mention Arsenio Hall as tasty oh, freeze. Well, we're going to get to that scene, but okay. I'd say maybe <clears throat> probably like the main other would be Phil Morris as Sahid, who's kind of the leader of the revolutionary group. Oh, yeah. But, Isn't he great? Oh, he's so good. I love uh, Phil Morris, and I got to meet him at Dragonfest like literally 20 years oh, you ago. Did? Oh, that's yeah. really because sweet. He's a, he's a lifelong martial artist. He does mm-hmm. Wing Chun. So I actually got an autographed picture of him as Jackie Childs because my mom's a huge Seinfeld fan. So I got that for her one year. Uh, him and the Soup Nazi uh, are yeah. both uh, lifelong martial artists. But uh, Phil Morris does Wing Chun. But anywho, Brilliant. yeah. So we have this great sequence where it's like the local pimps slash uh, drug dealers drug dealers meeting because they're having so much trouble uh, because... As Arsenio Hall's Tasty Priest says, the game is at an all-time low, baby. So they're struggling, right? They're struggling with having to pay off the cops. Uh, but Black I, Dynamite, I sell drugs to the community. That is one of my all-time <laughs> favorite lines in the movie. And I believe uh, it's uh, actually uh, was in the trailer. And I'm trying yes, to... Yes, it is. Uh, oh, man. Which, which character was that, though? That was... Uh, oh, darn it. Which well, of, which of the pimps was that? Well, while you while you look at the cast and try to uh, figure that one out, my my other favorite uh, moment in that is when Black Dynamite. If you know if you get anybody has problems with that, it's too bad. And the one guy's like, "Well, I've got a problem with it." Yeah, and then his response is, "Be that as it may." Well, and then that walks- was uh, that's Bokeem Woodbine. Yes. Yeah. So who, uh, you know, pops up in a lot of straight to video action films, uh, the Sniper series. Darn it. I can't figure out which which pimp that was. But so the character names that like, there's there's one character named drug dealing pimps. So I don't know if that's. No, I think he had an actual like. So obviously, as we mentioned, we have Arsenio Hall as Tasty Freeze in that sequence. Uh You've got uh, Miguel Nunez Jr. as Mo Bitches, pardon my French. Uh, he's a comedian that pops up in the Street Fighter film, for one. Uh, but, dang it, it's got to be, it's not uh, It's not Gunsmoke, because he's the one that uh, drinks too much of the Anaconda malt liquor. Uh, oh, darn it, that's going to drive me crazy. All right, maybe I'll find, oh, is, I think it's, is it Cedric Yarborough? Uh... What's the character's name? Um, Let's see here. One second. Yes, it is Cedric Yarborough from Reno 911. There we go. Perfect. Uh, he's the one where he's talking about. He's like, I'm I'm gonna, I'm having to spend more on bail money than I'm getting tail money. And he's the one pimp that's like deathly afraid of Black Dynamite and just yeah. like, yes, Mr. <laughs> Black Dynamite. Uh, yeah. But that whole sequence. And you could tell all these guys probably did it for standard date uh you know probably the bare minimum they were just in it yes. for the love of being in it and they're all so good and so over the top and they probably just had a lot of fun doing it but yeah so many other actors that pop up in this film uh comedians and it it just so go what, ahead. What's, so what's what's great about this film is eventually like you said, you unveil the first uh, the first uh, criminal. Then there's a then there's a mastermind behind that. Then there's the plot behind that, and then eventually it makes its way the whole way up. So right. So real quick. So the as we mentioned, the main plot to start off with is trying to get the drugs off the street. Then they discover this secret plot that's actually targeting 
just black men. So at the beginning of the film, we had this advertisement for Anaconda Malt Liquor, which is kind of a callback to Billy D. Williams uh, in Colt 45, right? Which yes. is So Billy D. Williams, the actor probably most famous for playing Lando Corlizzi, uh, Lando, Lando, I, I can't think, from Star Wars. Sorry, I'm not a big Star Wars guy. Uh, I think of him uh, from Batman 1989. Thank you. Uh, anywho, so this Anaconda malt liquor. So what they discover and they do this brilliant sequence where the the whole group is in a waffle shop and it, you have to see it to get it. But it's it's so funny because it's I think it's also a commentary on these characters that are supposed to be stereotypes, you know, mm-hmm. whether they're black exploitation heroes, kind of these revolutionaries or, you know, a street hustler like cream corn. They're actually in the sequence, all brilliant in ancient history. And that's what makes it so good is I think it's like a commentary on like, Hey, we are so much more than just these stereotypes. We can be strong, intelligent characters as well. And that's how it, I inter- it's, it's a beautiful sequence, and yeah, it's, it's because and it's so funny, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's it 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 has like two elements to it. It's it's showing the intelligence of of the of the characters in the community as they problem solve, but also the the timing, the editing. Yes. It just and and the I mean Tommy Davidson in the scene oh, just he's so good. it creates this level of comedy that's just so fantastic. It's it's every there isn't a sequence in this film that is only one layer. There are multiple layers. That's what makes this film stand the test of time. That's what makes this film easy to return to and get more out of it the second time, third time you watch it. Yeah, so pretty much uh, in this sequence, they figure out that the true secret plot is to, uh, once again, pardon my French, but I'll say it the most polite way possible, to shrink black men's penises by having them drink this anaconda malt liquor that has chemicals in it that will thus shrink their genitalia. Now, this is kind of a callback to certain plot elements of 70s exploitation, but specifically three, the hard way, where the whole plot is it's discovered that they're trying to poison America's water supply, but mm-hmm. it's a poison that will only kill African-American men. So the funny part is one of the members of the group uh, decided to go home and drink all this anaconda malt liquor when they rush to try to save him it's already too late and yes we do see a fake prosthetic little weenie because he's had too much and bullhorn do you want to live tell me do you want to live and so they decide to kill him uh <laughs> as a uh, you know because they don't want him to have to live like that so anywho yeah the plot eventually takes them to the uh island of the evil uh dr, dr. Wu. Wu. yes played by the Amazing Roger Ewan. And And, and how good is that sequence? So good. So they go to the island. uh, And in the process of going to the island to, you know, figure out who's behind this, Dr. Wu, but who's, you know, funding Dr. Wu to poison all the black men and shrink their (laughs) ding-a-lings. So once again, I can't believe I'm talking about this out loud on the podcast. But, it, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's like now, now that we're speaking about it, it's right. like, oh, OK, that I guess that happens. But like in the, in the film, it just it's it everything works. Right. So as they approach the island, they slowly start to get killed off one by one. You know, all these uh, people have been a part of Black Dynamite's team. Black Dynamite eventually defeats Dr. Wu, gets the, you know, figures out what's truly going on. And by this point, it's just him and Cream Corn and Cream Corn is like, well, how far does this go? Yes, and unfortunately, Bullhorn 
does get killed and it is a dramatic moment uh, for Black Dynamite. But, mm-hmm. you know, it goes all the way to top to the White House. And then they take a helicopter to the White House. Eventually, Cream Corn gets blown up in the helicopter and it's just Black Dynamite. And who is the ultimate bad guy behind it all? Tricky Dick Tricky himself, Dick. Richard Nixon. And little did we know, Richard Nixon is a nunchuck master. Oh, isn't that? Yeah. So, and, 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 and so it's, it, it, wait, yes. I was just going to say, I'm trying to remember, is it nunchuck versus nunchuck at one point? Yes, it is. So obviously yeah, you, yeah. Uh, he takes on like what would be the secret service first. Then when we finally get to see Tricky Dick is the bad guy, uh, he ends up being a nunchuck master and it is nunchuck on nunchuck. Uh, eventually they fight. Eventually Richard Nixon gets the upper hand and uses, grabs the gun that John Wilkes Booth used to kill. Uh, Abraham Lincoln because it's on the wall but then the ghost of Abraham Lincoln comes alive does a kung fu movement and then chops the gun away saving Black Dynamite Black Dynamite eventually defeats both uh, Richard Nixon and uh, his wife Uh, and then he lets Richard Nixon live because you know to make a promise that he's going to take care of the black man and then that's where we have our triumphant ending yes Uh, well yes Basically, a, a door just clicked, so I thought maybe you might want to repeat that. But oh no, no, I think we'll be okay. But yeah, so uh, I, I, and then that's where Mrs. Mrs. Nixon says, "You're so righteous. You're so righteous." Uh, and uh, Mrs. Nixon is played by oh my gosh, I can't think of her name right now from uh, Mad TV. Mad TV. Uh, uh, Nicole so Sullivan. Good with names. Nicole Sullivan. Thank you. There you go. Uh, I'm sorry, it came to me. Uh, but. And then also, we didn't even talk about the subplot of Michael Jai White uh, romancing uh, his the female protagonist, who's very much a kind of uh, not like, like almost caricature of a lot of the strong black revolutionary female leaders from some of these films. I mean, comparable to like say Black Bell Jones. Uh, and once again, I I did something different this episode. I decided to print out the entire cast thinking smart. that no that way, it's not smart not for this smart. movie because oh, okay. they're not in order like they normally are no no for, they're not they're not in order yeah. i don't know what the order is on imdb i think it's it's not even order of uh, on screen um, yeah so but sally richardson is the actress that plays uh gloria gray who's the character so well and, and you know what, what what's really nice about that is despite the fact of uh black dynamite's profession and his proficiency uh with women, uh, what what's nice is it actually becomes like an actual love story within that. So there's there's even like sort of a I would I would say sort of a redeeming quality to uh, to Black Dynamite's love interest that uh, help help a, a wider audience appreciate uh, his journey along the the path of romance but like it you, you were talking earlier about how they mix in different fonts they mix in different elements there there is a sequence where he and and this lady come together and it turns into this animated sequence comedic but also artistically yeah. uh kind of great yeah it's really good so pretty much when they finally make love rather than show like a graphic sex scene which they kind of hinted at the beginning it's all animated and it's using the horoscope signs and it's really well done so uh now that we've gone through the basic plot we've talked about how great the fight scenes are we've talked about the comedy i wrote down a bunch of notes so uh 
we've talked about a lot of the the references, but there's also, for example, specific references to Enter the Dragon, especially on the island, Dr. Wu's Island. There's a lot of mm-hmm. references to mm-hmm. Han's Island. Uh, you know, like, I'd suddenly like to leave your island. Or even, you know, Dr. Wu saying, your skills are extraordinary. Uh-huh. But, uh, and then the three, the hard way we mentioned, uh, a lot of even just the technical aspects we already talked about, but there's a lot of subtle beats. As I said before, I actually wrote down one was the bullhorn fight, which you already talked about. Another one right before bullhorn in that same sequence is when, uh, Michael J. White's doing the nunchucks and they fly up in the air and then he just starts <laughs> fighting and then they suddenly fly back into his hands, which are yes. obviously not the same pair, uh, little bits like that, uh, they're just so it's 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 so over the top and in your face, but also extremely subtle. Well, it, one of the best ones is so one of the actors we didn't mention, uh, McKelty Williamson, a.k.a. Bubba from Forrest Gump, plays mm-hmm. a bad guy named Chicago Wind. Chicago Wind. This whole driving sequence where he's looking behind him, like talking uh, to himself and he's constantly driving without looking. And it's, it's such a, you know, at first you're like, okay, but then he just keeps talking and talking and the car still navigating itself on the road and you start laughing, but then eventually he does fly off a mountainside and die. Well, how, how many cars fly off the mountainside? There's two in this movie, right? Cause then there's Michael, Mike Starr, right, who it does a fantastic job in this film. Yeah. I just, I, Mike Starr, obviously I, I, I'm a big fan, uh, right. but like when he goes off the, off the ledge, that's another great beat. Uh, another main element that I forgot to bring up was the fact that, uh, Major Jim Kelly reference is all the sound effects. He does the, that is straight up from Black Belt Jones and Jim Kelly, but Enter the Dragon too. Uh, Jim Kelly did the, but throughout the whole movie, he just lays it on thick. And that's the funny part is that's something that Sugarfoot and I love to do with each other. (laughs) Anybody that's hanging out with us, that's going to happen at least like five to 27 times. Us going like, Okay, can I? So, and I, I've been around them when this the these uh, the Jim Kelly homage comes out of both uh, AJ and PD. Can I? Can I just say that one of my favorite performances in this film comes from Phyllis Applegate playing Aunt Billy. First off, the phone call. He's oh in the my middle god, of his she is arts. so terrible. I love it. <laughs> She's awful. He's like, she's like, you promised your mother. And she's like, he's on the phone. He's like trying to hang up, but it's a, it's a split screen. So even though he can't like hang up the phone properly, so you could still hear her. So the split screen's still going and she's still going off on him. Then it's the funeral. They're burying the, burying his brother. He's sad. Everyone's walked away and she comes up and she's berating him again, like in such a way that like cuts through to your soul. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's really like they, they basically, I don't know what they told beforehand but they're if they told her you're going for the academy award dial it in as dramatically as you want man she berates black dynamite well and you mentioned the split screens which is also like a technical aspect that was definitely used in uh black exploitation cinema another one <laughs> we have some great running sequences and michael jai white actually talked about that in that little mini documentary how he just felt they were always running in black exploitation cinema and so we get some like there's a whole chase sequence with uh cream corn where black dynamite's chasing cream corn before they've teamed up and it's it's just such a throwback to that 70s style of whether it's a car chase or an on foot chase. And remember, there were some great car chases in the 70s. French Connection, right? So oh, yeah. uh, a lot of great stuff there. Uh, but the funny part is, as brilliant as the script is, there's also moments where it's intentionally written like terribly. Like they mm-hmm. purposely go from, you know, this witty, funny script to just a really 
poorly constructed dialogue, but they do it at all the right times and for the right amount of time, unlike some of these other films from this time period 10, 15 years ago, which were trying to be grindhouse and thinking they were cool. And no, yes. you, you weren't being intelligent. This film is extremely intelligent the, with its stylistic choices. No, you're right. And I think a lot of the the bad lines come from uh, the head of the CIA. Uh, oh, yeah. O'Leary. O'Leary, yeah. uh, played by Kevin Chapman. I mean, it's just his lines are redundant. It's they're s- stupid, and it's just it. I don't know. It, it's it's cookie cutter. Like now more than ever, it's like every every single thing. Which, by the way, uh, as I recall, I believe is one of uh, Richard Nixon's lines. Now more than ever, I think it was like one of his speeches. So it's it's a it was like a little hint. So perhaps one thing we should talk about, and I think uh, you know, there's certain sequences or parts of this film which probably wouldn't get made today because there is certain scenes which and i think with in the context of this film it's kind of okay because it's also bringing to light certain elements of black exploitation cinema that perhaps were kind of uh racially insensitive towards other groups of people because we have uh, definitely some racial epithets that are used throughout, like Asian ones. And even his whole sequence talking about Vietnam where he's constantly saying like, for example, like Chinaman and Chinese. Uh, and uh, there's also, uh, so there's those sequences. There is some, you know, derogatory terms used for towards women. They obviously use the B word a lot and so forth. But I think mm-hmm. also that's kind of how I mentioned before, specifically a commentary on the fact that, yes, our heroes from this genre of film were a lot of times questionable of questionable uh, occupation, like pimps, mm-hmm. players, drug dealers. And they we obviously make light of that in this film, but at the same time, there's certain elements where I think Michael J. White was specifically trying to bring up, yeah, this isn't normal. And there's right. the whole you actually see a couple of times where Michael J. White snaps and breaks out of his totally cool black dynamite character and becomes almost psychotic the main one being where he's interrupted by one of the uh prostitutes <laughs> yeah. in his house a uh, character named euphoria where he's a you know he's talking to I his, his love interest yeah and he gets interrupted by this prostitute named euphoria and he's like i know that was you euphoria i don't even have to look you want me to send you back to crenshaw pete with his hot wire coat hangers and then everyone I just know. pauses it's so, it's, it's, this, it's really like i mean it's like i said this film it does have, there is, I think what makes art special is it is linked to truth and honesty, not just, not just, uh, not just entertainment purposes. And I think there is some burning message that Michael J. White's been trying to get out through a lot of, through some of his films. And this is like the main one where there, there is a, there are messages within this film and not like, uh, social or I, I know we we throw around the word woke a lot nowadays in both negative and conno, uh, positive connotations but this this is not trying to uh be woke this is not a woke film right. this is this is but this is a film that is basically saying while this is what was on the screens back in the 70s in a lot of the black exploitation films this is not necessarily right this is not necessarily uh kosher oh yeah for sure because one of there's also the element of there's some violence towards women and even in that open there's this opening sequence where this old lady 
pretty much won't open the door for Black Dynamite. He just kicks the door open. She goes flying and it's it's done very comically. But at the end of the film, he also has to backhand Mrs. Nixon when she's trying to shoot him dead. Mm -hmm. But he actually has this whole sequence where he goes to apologize to her and talks Mm -hmm. about how he doesn't condone violence against women and how he got out of hand. And she's like, but Black Dynamite, I tried to shoot and kill you. And he's like, but you missed little mama and like you know so he he's acknowledging the fact that yeah there's some major character flaws within black dynamite who is inspired by these characters from the 70s that obviously you know had certain elements to them which are not appropriate which are no matter what your position is on you know how they were you know strong heroes that people can look up to they were flawed for sure uh and let's so let's see here Looking at, I got most of my notes in that I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah, there's some technical errors they do on purpose that are really funny, like the boom mic popping yes. up in the shot. And, yes. You know, but I think there's there's so many brilliant one-liners in this film. We talked about uh, the one that was in the trailer. I love the, but Black Dynamite, I'll sell drugs to the community. But there's like some other great ones where, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the main, uh, his love interest is, saying like, oh, you think you're one of those brothers that can get by with a wink and a smile? And then eventually winks. And she's like, what about the smile? I am smiling. But uh, <laughs> the the boomerang sequence uh, with uh, Dr. Wu, mm-hmm. where, uh, and pardon my French, because he does swear and said, I threw that shit before I walked in the room. <laughs> like just, just so many funny little beats like that, that it just, it just goes to show how, they were on top of their game when they wrote this script and they must have just been such a good team, like feeding off of each other. Right. Because even my own experience doing theater and film work in undergrad. And when you write something with someone occasionally, it's just like, all right, we put something down on paper. Other times it's, it's like a brilliant melding of minds and it's just the right time at the right place. And absolutely super witty and funny. And obviously that's what came together here was an absolutely brilliant project that then was also executed in a brilliant, way it it's it's you don't often come away uh from a film where everything works as well as it does uh and it 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 obviously starts with the writing team they must i mean obviously uh, michael j white byron Minns, and scott sanders obviously created a project together they're enjoying it but it, it it extends it extends beyond that to uh, to the editing team, to the stunt team, to the actors. I mean, they have some great, fantastic actors, which we've already mentioned, uh, who can execute a line and probably improvise a little bit. But it's just it's so well done where every element falls into place. Every element falls into place here. And I should mention for research for this, I finally, I never gotten around to watching the animated series. So a couple years later, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. Either. Adult swim did an animated series where they brought back, uh, Michael Jai White, obviously, uh, Kim Whitley, uh, Tommy Davidson, uh, bullhorn, the same voice actors. And let me just say this, the, the cartoon takes it, the absurdity to a whole new level. And it's way more R. if the movies are rated, then this uh, animated series would be like NC-17 because it's graphic, it's violent, they swear all the time, there's lots of sexuality, but it's equally as brilliant so far, in my opinion, but just so absurd. Like, spoiler alert, the second episode I watched is all about how 1970s little Michael Jackson is actually an abusive alien that's uh, oh, okay. yeah planning to take over the world and so forth. And 
the first episode was all about it's a spoof on like Sesame Street, pretty much mm. how it's a, they've got a different name, but the puppets are all real and they're planning to once again take over the country by brainwashing children to like murder their parents. So these are like the absurd plots, but it's just so entertaining. So. Yeah, I'll check that. Hey, do Do you remember the name of the uh, documentary you saw on HBO Max? I will have to send it to you because it's a little short, twenty minute conversation, okay. and so really well done. Uh, I I forget what I was looking for on there. Maybe I was looking at a different black exploitation film that was on there. And for people interested in the black exploitation genre, we've talked a lot about a lot of specific films. I would recommend right out the gate, watch Foxy Brown, watch Shaft. Watch Black Belt Jones. Now, some of these films uh, are available on Prime. Like I think Coffee's available on Prime. You may have to get the Brown Sugar app on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, other ones like Black Belt Jones, I'm not sure. I mean, I have it on DVD. So it's like a double feature with Hot Potato, another Jim Kelly one. Uh, all of the Ron Van Cleef movies. Like, seek some of these out. Watch them. And I think you'll notice also there's a lot of elements uh, found in Quentin Tarantino's films, especially. Jackie Brown, which stars mm-hmm. Pam Greer. Yes. And that's my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. People often ask me, what's your favorite, you know, Tarantino movie? And they expect Kill Bill, which I love Kill Bill. And I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which came out recently. I mean, Bruce Lee scene aside, but I love Jackie Brown. And there's a lot of the black exploitation elements within that film, uh, especially with the music and so forth. But yeah, we, we need to get this wrapped up because we're way over time. But I just feel like this film, there was so much to talk about and break down. And really, I mean, I I have no complaints with this movie. Like I would give it a A plus. I I I I agree with you as well. Yeah. I mean, listen, there there's Akito Kurosawa was Yojimbo, right? Yeah. We've talked about that before. There are other films, but within each genre, everybody there there is the pinnacle film. And this is the pinnacle film. Uh, from every aspect of it, this is an A plus film for sure. And by the way, I looked up the the documentary. It, I think it's called "The Best of Black Exploitation." It's twenty minutes, yes. two thousand eighteen, on HBO Max. Yep. Uh, Michael Mays, Michael Jai White, and Scott Sanders discuss the history of black exploitation and the groundbreaking work performed in the nineteen seventies. Very good. Check it out. Definitely worth it. Uh, all right. So, any final closing thoughts? I. I I, I totally enjoyed watching this film. Brought back some great memories of when I went to the theater and just was in a in in a in it with an audience watching it for the first yeah. time and reacting with an audience that was watching it for the first time. I remember people being there just for the Tarantino film, and uh, which is of course great. But this film took the cake and walk a uh, rock the night and to to watch it again in bits and pieces this week. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, normally we finish with language corner, but we uh, we we couldn't really think of anything. Did you think of anything as we were talking for language corner? I did not. Mm, what's something black exploitation cinema or this film related that we can talk about? Dun 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 dun. Mm. Okay. Not really. Okay. There's a there's a TV show called Abu Naideka, which okay. is a dangerous cop. Which was made into a, a film series. Uh the the show Abu Naideka, the movie Abu Naideka Forever, Forever. Mm-hmm. There was one scene where they go into a pool hall and uh 
there's some guys shooting They're They've chased a criminal into a bathroom. He's in the bathroom. He comes out, he starts shooting. The cops yell at this, an American bar. They yell at him to get down uh, and he gets shot. Okay. And then the Japanese officer said, we should have said, sit down instead of get down. <laughs> Anyway, that's the language corner. Okay. Well, actually, all right. <laughs> it's not. So but... I, I've, I've, got a, I've got an easy one. So Get one down, the... Okay, that's yeah, the line. That's way too long. Ready? So language corner is supposed to be easy. No, I'm not going to try to learn that. So <laughs> I, I have an idea. Okay. So the hairstyles in this film are really cool. We got a lot of awesome afros, some other cool style. So I'm going to teach everyone how to say like hairstyle. Very simple. Fashing. Fashing. Perfect. So, and once again, this is a helpful one when you're going to go get your hair cut or something. So, fashing is hairstyle. So, for example, even in America, I always bring a picture of like what I want. You know, uh, you, you could say, oh, well, she wanted a fashing. I like this style. Okay. Uh, and it also uh, lends itself because uh, fashing, sure, means hairstylist, just sure at the end. So, fashing, sure. Yeah. Fashing, sure. Uh, however, you do not say hairstyle place is what you would think. Like, oh, uh, no, it's actually haircut place. Li fa tian. But once again, we're not focusing on that. Fashing. Yeah, hairstyle. Fashing. Yeah, fa, F-A, and then X-I-N-G. Fashing. Fashing. There you go. Hairstyle. That's what I'm teaching today. In Japanese, it's kamikata. Oh, that's easy. Kami, hair. Kamikata. Kata, style. Kamigata. I think I think when you put them together, kata becomes gata. Kamigata. Kamigata. Hey. Excellent. Hey. Uh, domure gato. Doce, doce. Oh, mix it in a canto. Okay, my man. Well, we're already okay. way over. People are probably going to be like, this is too long of an episode. Guess what? We don't care. Uh, That's but, right. And once again. Uh, let's let's actually leave 10 minutes of silence. Right. So my, my not apologies, but obviously there what normally we try. I try not to swear when we're recording anything. Uh, as I said, this was all in context. So we did use some more graphic language than we normally do. And I'll, I'll try to put that in the show notes when I post on social media. Explicit but lyrics. Ex- some explicit lyrics in this episode but anywho we hope you enjoyed uh in honor of black history month one of our favorite martial arts slash comedies slash exploitation films black dynamite it's a, it's baby. a great great film excellent all right my man this has been a lot of fun i'll see you next time sounds good all right my man